afternoon. It's about afternoon, isn't it? Oh, mm-hmm. clearly into one o'clock. Good afternoon, <laughs> everybody. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, ANT. We are live. Yes. Uh, it's such an honor. It's a privilege to be here with you. I'm amongst Bless family. You. Listen, I heard my brother um, Emmanuel last week say, you know, when you're amongst family, and you don't feel like you have to perform. You don't feel yeah. like you need to be comfortable. I, I know what you're feeling, sir. I feel relaxed. I feel <laughs> calm. I feel cool. There's no need to perform or there's no, no pressure here. Um, and so I'm just so, so, so glad I'm honored uh, to be a part of Sunday session. Man, this is a dream come true. I need to write this down. <laughs> and thank God for the amazing things he has done. He's taken me from the slums to Surrey. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I honor the Lord for him. Look, ANT, I love you with all of my heart. Thank you so much for having me. Um, again, it's a privilege to be uh, amongst you. I want to honor the Lord um, for your headship. I thank Bless God you. for your leader. Um, there's very few people, and I somewhat uh, classify myself as a good judge of character, mm. um, and there's very few people that I actually know uh, that has a heart of gold uh, like my brother Ayo does. He is simply one of a kind, one of the most unique men I've ever met in my entire life. Mm. And ANT, I just want to let you know from, you hear it from me first, you are under good leadership. I'm, mm. under, I, I'm telling you that you are under good leadership mm. uh, because good leadership is hard to find these days. And so mm. I honor the Lord uh, for the incomparable Ayo. He is a tremendous gift, a tremendous pioneer to the body of Christ. Um, and he's only great because Susan stands next to him. Um, so I honor the Lord for my sister, Susan. I was actually talking about Susan um, some time ago. And I was saying um, that in my eyes, she's probably one of the most gifted, not just gifted women, but one of the most gifted people of our nation um, currently right now. I think the only thing that Susan doesn't know how to be is ugly. I speak of things that are beautiful. My wife is one. Hey. Hey. Um, Lord knows the things that He has in store for you, also. And yes. I just honor. Uh, the gift of God that's within you, and thank you for saying yes to me. Um, and I thank God for yeah. you. I thank God for my brother Tosan, for his Bless wonderful you. wife Aisha, uh, two gems of the body of Christ. A and T, listen, you guys have been such good company. Yeah. Uh, you really, really are. Um, and I just want to say thank you again uh, for having me. Look, there is a word from the Lord. Yes. I'm going to get into it. Um, I feel this in my belly. Uh, And I think that what God is going to do uh, amongst this nation, amongst a particular generation, uh, very soon, is going to be something unique, such as we have never seen uh, or never heard before. The problem is, is that if we are not prepared for it, both mentally and spiritually, we would look at it, call it demonic and call it strange. Um, Mm. So it is very, very important um, that we align ourselves now with the expectation of what God is going to do in the very, very, very near future. Right. Um, I'm looking at the verse of scripture that's taken in 1 Corinthians 2. Mm-hmm. 1 Corinthians 2, and I'm going to read verse 1 to 5. 1 Corinthians 2, and I'm going to read verse 1 to 5. By um, his, In terms of my own history, I am a church of God in Christ born. Uh, I don't preach with notes, and so I need to be stopped when I'm preaching. So uh, I'm giving everybody here liberation just to wave at me. If I continue and if I go on too long, um, I will not get offended, I promise you. Um, already knows what it is. <laughs> First Corinthians 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 to 5, it says this. Here is the Apostle Paul, and I, when I came to you, brothers, 
did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, meaning that I had a choice to do so. I could have done it, but I know the price that it would pay if I dilute and change the word of God with speech and wisdom. Verse 2, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ mm -hmm. and him crucified. Because there's one thing, for there is a message, but there's also a demonstration when we talk mm -hmm. about Christ. Verse 3, and I was with you in weakness, in fear, and much trembling, because there's no such thing as a proud apostle. Wow. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. And here is the reason. So that your faith, might not rest in the wisdom of men, Come on. but in the power of God. Let's look at verse number four once again. And my speech and my message, they were not implausible words of wisdom because they could have been, mm. but in demonstration of the spirit of power and of power, so that your faith might rest, your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We're talking from the subject this afternoon, demonstration. Mm. A demonstration. One of my favorite verses of scripture found anywhere in the Bible is Colossians 1 uh, verse 28. As a preacher myself, I classify the first three words of this verse as my lifelong mission and message. It simply mm. says, him we preach. Mm. And I, I think sometimes we can get a little bit too lofty in our understanding of our, exeget our exegetical uh, professionalism that we sometimes forget that there is not a need to perform and there is not a need to be uh, to sound impressive. Because I know in a day like this, in a time like this, and it's not even just been from today, it's literally been throughout the history of the ages, there is something that draws the, uh, the rhetoric of men towards other men. There is something about intelligence that just draws people. Uh, and, and it's sometimes, if we're honest, it's how we choose our pastors, it's how we choose leaders, uh, it's, it's how we choose who to follow. Truth. It's mm -hmm. by who sounds intelligent, because we trust book smarts, we, we, we trust uh, individuals who know what they're talking about, because they seem to be uh, people that are easier to follow. Paul says this, however, here when we preach, meaning that I had the decision and I had the choice to preach another thing. I could have spoken about something else, but the reason why I'm warning every single man, he goes on to continue to say in yeah. verse 28, the reason I continue to warn is because I do not want there to be a dilution and I do not want there to be uh, a mixing or an adulterating of the main thing, which is Christ and him crucified. Come this on. really is the crux and the message of the apostolic fervency and right. the apostolic message. It is him we preach. There is no Come other on. message and there's no other thing to say other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, I know for a lot of people, when we come and we proclaim such a thing, that has nothing to do with me and my own personal circumstances. I might need some money. I might need a home, I might need a car. And so the fact that I know that Jesus Christ is, um, is Lord and he is crucified on the outset of what I need might not mean much, but it has every implication to our future and it has every implication to what we are going to do next. And so I think, in my own humble estimation, the body of Christ, especially those who are preachers, because I am one myself, I have the license to be a little bit more critical. I don't care what you say. I do. <laughs> and so there are some times, however, uh, that when we, are, when we find ourselves in the, uh, the, the fullness of Christianity and what it looks like and how it appears, uh, not even just to the saved, but also to the unsaved, I think we fall down a particular theological rabbit hole. And the theological rabbit hole we fall down is this, that though we preach Christ, 
Yeah. And though it's him we proclaim, I think we make the mistake of simply repeating the things that Jesus said. Mm. And repeating the things that Jesus said is not preaching him. Hmm. Repeating the things that Jesus said is simply just repeating him. And now there is power in that, and there might be a strength in that. But in, in order to fully grasp the, 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 the full picture and the full scope of who Jesus is, not only do we have to preach and say what he said, we also have to do what he did. In wow. doing what he did is also preaching him. And right. sometimes I think we fall into the mistake simply by preaching him, and that equates to us simply repeating what he has said. And that's the easy part. The easy part is to just repeat Jesus. Mm. And, and so we have, uh, you know, people wear bracelets and stuff, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And what we really mean by that is from a morality perspective, what decision would Jesus make? Mm. We, we find ourselves in a position of, I have a decision to make, what way would Jesus go? That's exactly what we mean by what would Jesus do? Because if we were to truly hold that to its merit and hold that to as much weight as possible, what we would find ourselves is doing the things that Jesus done. Yeah. And if we are honest, we look around the nature of Christian society within the UK, there is very little of that. What I do find is a lot of people repeating the words of Jesus. I don't find a lot of people doing the things that Jesus done. And I'm going to go a little bit deeper into this as we talk. Now, the one thing that we have to understand understand about what we demonstrate is that demonstration purely authenticates a message right you need both you need message and miracles mm. you need to say something and also to do something the two of them are not explicitly linked uh, in the sense that they remain separate no they are part of the gospel message you bring them together in order to expose the fullness of the gospel so if you are going to be a gospel preacher you need something to say and something to do and it's not just enough that you stop at just saying something you need something to do mm -hmm. and so jesus puts it this way Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, he looked at the apostles and he said to them, look, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And here's your assignment. Preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. Because mm -hmm. here is a mini preach. The gospel is not simply the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the message of salvation. Because mm -hmm. Jesus didn't merely preach his own death, burial, and resurrection. The gospel that he preached was the message of the kingdom of God. That's the reason why the first thing he said when he showed up on the scene was repent for the kingdom, kingdom of, of heaven is yeah. at hand yeah. in other words change your mind because there is another way of thinking there is another mm. kingdom that has come to the earth and i try to bring you into it so jesus says go with that message and preach it to the lost sheep of the house of israel but here is also what jesus said after you do that he said raise the dead yeah. Heal the sick, cast out, uh, cast out demons, cleanse the lepers. Why? Because all of that is the authentication of the gospel message that you preach. And so in other words, when you go to preach the gospel, authenticate it by signs and wonders. The problem that we have today is that we do one or the other. We don't think to bring both of those worlds together and think that that is the fullness of the gospel message. Mm -hmm. But instead what we do is that we preach and we try to sound intelligent, we try to sound clever, we try to sound plausible so people can then people can understand something by cognitive reason and they cannot then figure it out via the spirit of God. And so it takes a level of demonstration if it is that true transformation is going to take place. Because yeah. if you are just going to appeal to the intellectual capacity the intellectual capability of mm. men, all you are going to do is change the way a man thinks, but you can then change the way a man thinks. You can then 
then also change his way out of the kingdom. It doesn't just take mental capacity, it takes a heart transformation too. Mm. And so what there needs to be is both a message and miracles. Mm. There needs to be message and miracles. Mm. Jesus said this in Mark 16, these signs shall follow them that believe. And I think part of the problem is this, part of the problem is this, that we, 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 we talk about the things that we should be demonstrating. My and if we are honest with ourselves, a lot of the things that we talk about, not only did Jesus did not talk about, those are the very things he demonstrated, but because we, I don't believe, have come into the full revelation, a full understanding of our own spiritual authority, mm. what we do is that we talk about the things we should demonstrate. Let me put, make an example for you to make it clear. The love of God is not a preach. Mm. Hmm. And I know how you're feeling about that because that's all you've grown up to listen to, the love of God. And, 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 and this is something that we spoke about. I, my wife and I were doing the school of prayer not too long ago. And this, this topic came up. Let me, understand, let me say something to you. The love of God is not a preach. The love of God is a fullness of demonstration. It's a motivator. It's not a message. And so we walk around preaching the love of God and Jesus never did so. There is not a full message that you find in the Gospels that Jesus preached concerning the love of God. Now, here is another interesting thing that I find quite strange. How is it that what we do, we take the most famous verse of scripture found anywhere in the Bible, John 3, 16, and we use that to evangelize the world. He said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And we put it on posters, we put it on the side of buses, we put it on leaflets, drop people through people's doors. Mm-hmm. We tell them that Jesus loves them and all of that kind of good stuff. But I have a problem and my problem is this. If it is that we are using John 3.16 to evangelize the world, why did Jesus say what he said in John 3.16 to one man at two o'clock in the mm-hmm. morning? And I want you to think about that for a second while I take a sip of water. I'm glad I needed this. Thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to think about this. Jesus said what he said in John 3.16, not to the masses. He said it to one man, a curious man, in the middle of the night. And if it was so important that the love of God was a mass message, don't you think Jesus would have waited as we found in Matthew 5? And he would have stood on the mountaintop while he had thousands of people and rapturous applaud and attention. And then he would explain to them, hey, everyone, listen, Jesus loves you. I love you. This is the reason why I've sent myself. No, what did Jesus do? He said there is another kingdom that's coming. Mm-hmm. And I come to, I, I am the fullness of the kingdom that is soon to be and is now. And so I'm trying to bring you into another way of thinking. This is the reason why he called every man to repentance. I'm trying to bring you into another thing. Because here's another revelation for you. The unsaved don't need to understand all the revelation of God's love. They need the cross. Mm. The unsaved need to be rescued. Because the revelation of God's love is for the mature. The revelation of God's wow. love is for sons. That's the reason why John in his epistles went on to say that the reason why we can say we love him is because he first loved us. Now, wow. you cannot know that until you've grown up a little bit. That's why when you were as a child, all you needed was food, water, shelter, and make sure that you were changed. You didn't really understand how your parents felt about you until you grew up a little bit and you mm. realized the sacrifice that they had. And so the nature mm. of God's love is his motivator. It is not his message. The reason why Jesus came into the earth was not to express love to a multitude of people who wouldn't understand it. The reason why he came into the earth was to save a people. My God. He said, for this reason I have came. Mm-hmm. And for this reason I have come. Not to tell people I love them. My love is my motivation. 
My love is the right. demonstration of who I am. It is literally the, 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 the underpinning, it's the crux, it's the fullness of what I have come to do. And so what I then do, see, what we do is that we preach John 3.16 and we completely skip over John 17. <laughs> we walk away from that verse completely and we don't preach it that says men are lovers of darkness. They love their sin to the point where they will do things in secret and make sure that the lights are turned down and wait till nighttime Jesus. to do what it is that they've got to do. And the light of the world came in to expose the wickedness of men's hearts. This is, reason, this is the reason why, we, how, can we, how it is that we are still so caught up on the nature of people's behaviour. And this is the reason why we're so still religious and legalistic. Because here is what Jesus came to do. He came to do away with the nature of man's behaviour. Because the Pharisees always pictured that if I have correct behaviour, mm. then I can have correct standing with God. Mm. And the truth of the matter is that the Old Testament sacrifice did that very same thing. It was able to come cover men's behaviors but the one thing that it did not do was cover the position and the condition of men's hearts mm. so this is the reason why jesus said the, way, uh, the reason why the lord said that in the book of jeremiah i will not write my law on tablets of stone come on i will now write them on the hearts of men because i have come to translate and trans to change and transform the, 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 the heart position of people. And if I can transform and change the heart position of people, then I can change the behavior of people. This is the reason why I, in my estimation, this is why I think the church has had no breakthrough with the homosexual community because we have been so disgusted and appalled by behavior that we have not thought to seek and change a people's hearts. Because if you can change a heart, you can change a behavior. But there is no point trying to change a behavior when a heart is unregenerated. Because if you take a person who is a homosexual and your whole desire is just to make them straight they can still be an entire whoremonger it just doesn't matter who they're sleeping with and so the point of the matter is is that if you stand and all you want to do is, is check a person's behavior but you have not looked at the position and the concrete of their heart then your gospel is an incomplete one oh God. you need both you need a message and you need miracles you need something to say and you need something to do. So we need to understand what is it that we preach and we don't do. Because a lot of believers are talking a lot. Lots to say. And if 2020 showed us anything, is that as long as I've got some form of audience... I will give myself something to say. This is the reason why I can't stand social media and on certain times. I, I, I really can't. Because the nature of social media would suggest that everybody has a preference and there is no reference whatsoever. Mm. There, there, there is no sense of homework done. It's just that if you feel it, then you say it. If you've got something to, to, to say and something to express, and everybody just wants to be triggered all the time. Everybody <laughs> wants to say something to trigger somebody else. Have you noticed that? Yes. Everybody just wants to be important enough whereby they can say something and so it can be uh, it can be you know put on Twitter or on Instagram we can caption it. Everybody just wants to be quotable. Nobody wants to change hearts. Nobody wants to change lives and anymore everybody just wants to be impressive everybody just wants to give a word so that the word that they can say can look to somebody else and say that's a preach you see this is what we claim this is what we crave you know, this right here this is the thing that we crave we crave this and we have not even understood that the one thing that jesus taught us is that if you crave this, then this is all the reward you are going that's to get. He, that's what he said. Mm. This is literally it. This is your life's reward. All of that effort and that money you spent 
and all of those, all that money you spent on fancy clothes, just trying to impress people. You see when you get this, then this is all you're going to get. So if you are happy with this, then continue doing what you're doing. The applause of men is going to be the killer of most preachers. Wow. Jesus. It's either we are going to do both or we're going to do either or. When we do mm. either or, we preach an incomplete gospel. Mm. It's either you demonstrate and you talk. But if you talk and you don't demonstrate, then what you're going to do is that you're going to fall down into this rabbit hole of argument and discussion. Is it right to baptize in the Father, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, or do we baptize in Jesus' name? Should women uh, be ordained? Should they, and all of these theological concepts that we talk about, and we've been talking about them for a very long time. Very long so time. as far as I'm concerned, the fact that the conversation has gone on this far, don't you think it's time to put the pause button on the conversation and try to read something else? Let's try to go to higher heights in God, because how is it we are talking about something, we're trying to get to a conclusion of it, but the only reason why we're stressing trying to get to a conclusion of something is because we don't demonstrate anything. And also, it's an incomplete gospel if all you do is demonstrate but you're not theologically sound. One thing that I think we need in this country is more intelligent Christians. Wow. I think we need smarter believers. Hmm. I, I, I don't think that you should be allowed to bind Jezebel and you can't even find her in the scriptures. I don't think you should be allowed to, to cast that. I, I bind demons in the West and in the East, and, and, and you don't even know which direction you're pointing at first and foremost. Like, you, we, we are so, we, we, we love fantasy. Hmm. The, the, the nature of the spiritual realm fascinates us. Yet at the same time, we are so theologically inconsistent. Hmm. So you need both. You cannot seek to prophesy yes, in sir. terms of your saying, you want to know what God is saying, yeah. and you don't even know what God has said. Okay. Where's your reference? <laughs> <laughs> Preference and no reference. Very good. Last week I was uh, I was teaching about intercession and what an intercessor is and the nature of the the uh, nature of an intercessor. And one of the things that we found that was really uh, an eye opener, especially for me also, is that intercessors are not people that simply pray. See, when we think about the word intercession, the first thing we think about is prayer. But I was teaching people that to say that the first thing we think about when we talk about intercession ought to be the cross, That's because the greatest picture of intercession the world has ever seen was Calvary. Yeah, yeah. That's and good. so intercession is not merely prayer. Intercession is a beginning point. Or prayer, rather, is a beginning point of intercession. intercession. But if your intercession starts and ends with prayer, it wasn't intercession. Hmm. Intercession is when you pray and then you get up and then you seek to be the answer or you seek to be the thing that you're praying right. about. You have to then get involved and be in, in a position where you are doing something about what it is you're praying about. So how is it? And, and I, I challenge people with this all the time because one of the things that is on my heart so heavy is the nature of the healing ministry in the kingdom. I think that we are coming into a great awakening and a great time of healing in the body of Christ. But in order for us to actually fully comprehend this and, and fully realize it, is that the believers have to understand their authority. It is not enough for us to ask God to heal people because that's no longer his job. 
You don't want to read the Bible, man. It's not his job to do that. Listen to me. God gave us the authority. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 19. He said, this is the authority I give unto you to step right. on scorpions and snakes. Yeah, you yeah, have yeah. the authority to do so. Yeah. And so I have given you the command, lay hands on the sick and heal them. Jesus. The sick don't need prayer. My the God. sick need healing. Yeah. But what we do is that we want to abdicate our role and our responsibility when it comes to authority and the authorization and we give it back to God. So here is God saying to you by the Holy Ghost, I have given you the authorization to do this. And so we then see the problem and we don't think that we are the answer to the problem. We then look back at God and say, God, can you do it? And the truth of the matter is, if God can just do it by himself, he don't need you and he don't need me. When we were saved, he could have just taken us up to heaven because he's going yeah. to do everything himself anyway. Yeah. This is the believer's authority. Believer's the intercession, authority. the nature of the intercessory life is the believer's portion. And so wow. we have to continue to be the very thing that we are praying about. Yeah. And if we are not, it's an incomplete gospel. Hmm. Isn't it fascinating that, um, and I know I can just feel by the spirit of God, I'm rattling uh, a neck bone. Somebody just quickly clicked off YouTube for a second. <laughs> I know your viewers have gone down. I can I'm feel sorry it in my heart. <laughs> Here's the thing. I, I think, um, you know, when we say things like, you know, we're, we're winning souls for Jesus. And first and foremost, winning souls is not evangelism. Because the concept of winning souls is Old Testament. There is nothing post-Calvary that talks about winning souls. As a matter of fact, the, even the, the wording, the phrase, Winning, winning a soul is in the Old Testament, it's not in the New Testament. So winning souls is an Old Testament concept. We just adopted it and made it an evangelistic thing. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is that to win a soul means to influence the heart. It means to be able to be so close and get involved in somebody's storyline and involved in somebody's life to the point whereby you, can be, you, you are able to influence them by the things that you do, the things that you say. Now, understand I'm talking about influence and not manipulation. Because they're mm. two very different things. Mm -hmm. But to win a soul is to is to have the ability to influence, have the ability to get on the inside of somebody. Mm. And if they present an issue to you or they present something to you, you have the words by the power of God that will be able to change and flip a perspective on a, on a person's thinking. Yeah. And that's the reason why the Bible says it takes the wise to do it. Jesus. He that wins souls is wise. It's not just you, you are wise because you win souls. No, it's he that wins souls is wise. And so it takes a wise individual and it takes a wise person to have the ability to get in on the inside of a person's soul, detect and discern where there could be an issue or a problem and then place Jesus at the greatest level of pain. And so when we begin to think about the nature of demonstration by the Spirit of God, I think we can, we can become lazy in our principles when it comes to how we emote or how we affect change in, in, in other people's lives. And so this is the reason why I thank God for houses like A&T and I thank God for, for other ministries that, that, are, that place great emphasis on relationship. Yeah. And they place great emphasis on covenant and community and covering and shelter. They place great emphasis on that because without that, then what you have is a body of believers and you have a church and you have a people you only preach half the gospel. Yeah. And so you then have a, essentially, you have a social club, you have a, a convention, you know what a convention is? A convention is uh, a gathering of people who like the same thing. Mm -hmm. Essentially what a convention is, and churches have them all over the world, 
we have we have conventions. It's, it's bank holiday weekend, so it's convention time. And, and those of you who grew up in mainland denomination will understand that it, it's always convention time. But convention is merely mm. a lot of people coming together who share the same interests. Mm. And that cannot be the underpinning of why we do what we do. It cannot be the reason, it cannot be the cause. And I understand the hype around convention, and, and I really do. But why is it that one another and the relationship that we have with each other mm. is no longer the underpinning of the church? Mm. Why is it that covenant relationship is no longer the underpinning of the church? And I'm going somewhere with this. It might seem off topic, but it's not. <laughs> and so here's what Paul then goes on to say. In 1 Corinthians 2, and this is really my preach. Everything I just said was preamble. I'm done now. <laughs> Paul then goes on to say, look, when I came to you, brothers, hmm. I didn't come to you proclaiming God with lofty speech. Yeah. I didn't come to you proclaiming God with wisdom. Now, Paul is talking about his journey in Acts 18. And it's interesting because in Acts 18, it's all Paul done. Hmm. All Paul did was spend time talking. You read it carefully. And Paul spent time trying to, to, to argue and trying to reason. And he spent time uh, debating. And he spent time picture and putting and picturing God uh, yeah. in a particular way where Jesus is the Christ that we talk about. He spent time doing that. But then he, come along and he comes along to the Corinthian church and he says to them, look, the reason I came to you was not in wisdom. I didn't come to impress you because even in, in Corinth, where there were so many Greeks, what did they do? They seek, they sought wisdom. Yeah. The Jews seek after Islam. The Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Yes. <laughs> Understand this, that is one thing. We preach wisdom, meaning that you only have something to say. We preach uh, the Jews seek after a sign, meaning they only, you only want miracles. Jesus here is trying to bring those two worlds together. Right. And right. so here we are, one set of Jews, one set of Gentile believers, so one set of people want message. One set of people want miracles. And the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified is supposed to bring those two worlds together. together. And it's the underpinning of everything that we do and everything that we proclaim as a people is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then he goes on to say, look, I didn't come to you with wisdom because I could have done. I'm smart. I'm educated. <laughs> I could have done this and I could have put it in a way to you. And I could have, I could have argued Thank Greek God. philosophy. I could have done all of that. But what would it have done? It would have taken the mystery and the revelation of Christ. Mm. And it would, it would have debased it to human reason and human understanding. This is the reason why Paul then goes on to say it's foolishness. Mm. Because when you think about Christ and him crucified, the concept for you is so deep that it becomes simple. The concept of Jesus Christ and him crucified is a revelation that man's mind cannot even grasp or comprehend. So what they do is that they make it simple. And this then becomes far too much of a simple message. So what do we do? We abase it. So Paul then comes and says, look, this is the very message that I come to give you. Mm -hmm. And if I came to you with wisdom and I came to you with intelligent speech, then all you think is that I am an apostle and I am just an intelligent one then I'm just no better than, than the Greeks that just seek after science, seek after wisdom. He then goes on to say that I've decided, and this is key, mm -hmm. to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Notice one was a message, one was a miracle. <laughs> Jesus Christ, the man, is a message. Him crucified is the miracle. <laughs> Bring those two things together, and that now becomes your message. And I was with you in weakness and in fear 
ended much trembling. My speech and my message, guess what they were? Plausible words of wisdom. Oh, how a generation would stop trying to be impressive in front of men and find themselves in the depths of revelation with God so that when they stand and they proclaim a message that can seem so simple, it rattles the heart and it rattles the minds of men and they don't even understand what they're saying and they don't even understand what they're doing but now they come to the point and they come to the realisation they say what must I do to be saved I will tell you that we was in a clubhouse and Susan we was in a clubhouse not too long ago and and I was um, a little bit annoyed (laughs) I was a little bit annoyed because we were talking about preachers and I think we can be so judgmental even as preachers that all we want to do is find the correct words to say so that somebody can look at us and they can appreciate our theological understanding. And when I understand when Jesus spoke, men said, didn't our hearts burn? But yet here we are, and when we speak, it's nothing but fire emojis. And my wig's gone. My edges are gone. And that's what we want to do. We just want to be oppressive. And that's the level of what we want to say to people. So as far as we're concerned, the success rate of our preaching is how triggered you are. Not wow. how changed and transformed you are. Is there going to be a demonstration with the message or not? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. And the truth of the matter is, in this day and age, and the nature of what we're doing right, right now, there is not. What there is is a message, and that's great. You're, you're intelligent, you're theological, that's wonderful. But where is the demonstration? Mm. Because without it, we're preaching a half gospel. And here is the crux, and here is really the point. Verse 4. Paul says, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith, look where your faith ought to be. It might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And it would be an easy question for me to ask you, well, where is your faith? But isn't it fascinating? Isn't it it interesting that the moment our faith becomes to get a little bit weak, and this is no attack, no shame, but again, by the Holy Ghost. Isn't it interesting that when our faith begins to get a little bit weak, the one thing we want to do is seek for a message. The one thing we want to do is seek for something to say because what we want to do is be encouraged. And let me say something about encouragement, and this is going to sound a little attacky, but go with me. I think for so long we just wanted to be encouraged. We don't understand that encouragement is supposed to bring you into a second wind so you can continue to do what you're doing. I think what we mean when we say we want to be encouraged is that we want to feel better. And so we say, God, I just give me a word of encouragement. No, what you mean to say is that I, I want to feel a little bit better about what I'm experiencing and what I'm going through. Mm. The truth of the matter is um, when you encourage yourself, that does not bring you into a place of just feeling better. It brings you into a place of a brand new dynamic and perspective by what you're going through. So you can look at it a little bit more objectively and you can go on with the things of God in the midst of what you're experiencing. Yeah, right. Do you want to feel better or do you just want to be encouraged? Do you, do, do, you want to, do you want to feel better? Do you want to go on with the things that you're doing? Or do you want to stay and say, God, well, look, you know the one thing that I want to do? I just want to feel better. I just want to, I don't want to experience this anymore. I don't want to go through this. And I think the reason where that comes from 
is because we have not gone so far to demonstrate. There has to be something within the realms of the gospel message that's not just talk. Paul says that the kingdom of God does not consist of talk. Yep. It consists of demonstration. It's either we're going to show people or we're going to continue to talk and then what happens is that somebody more intelligent than you, even an unsaved person, will come and trample all over your theology. Trample all over the things that we're saying. Trample all over the things that we do. The way you get out of this is that you preach the complete gospel. The way that you separate Jesus from everybody else's understanding of who he is. People will say, well, he's just another historical figure. No, if he is Savior and Lord, the way you exalt him as Savior and as Lord is that you place him in a position of message and demonstration. Mm -hmm. It's exactly what he did to prove people that the things that he said was authentic, he demonstrated. Mm -hmm. So here goes Jesus preaching, here is the coming of the kingdom of God. And here is the reason why you should believe that this message is true. Mm -hmm. I will raise the dead. I will cast out demons. I will cleanse the leper. I will heal the sick. And without any of that, then the nature of what we say is just going to be compared to man's wisdom all of the time. No wonder we make no headroads in this nation. No wonder we make no lasting impact in this nation because we just want to sound intelligent. Don't go to an unbeliever with lofty words. Demonstrate this thing. Listen, the next time somebody says to you, Jesus loves you, ask them the question, but do you? Hmm. Because you can have no responsibility outside what you say. Hmm. That's the reason why the love of God is not a preach. The love of God is demonstration. You act the love of God. You don't just talk about it. Hmm. Something that you do is not something that you merely say. Hmm. Everyone's walking around saying, Jesus loves you. But where's the evidence that you do? Mm. I said that to somebody I was coming out of Green Park Station not too long ago and the man came up to me and said Jesus loves you and I said but do you and he said and his message, he said to me I, my, the proof that I, that I love you is I am telling you that Jesus loves you <laughs> and I said to him well look so I appreciate that but you're just doing what you feel you're biblically commanded to you're not doing it because first of all you don't know me <laughs> we've never met and so you saying you love me and the proof of your love to me is that you're telling me that somebody else loves me, then you're just you're out of line in terms of what you're called to do. So if you if it is that you really love me, find out my name and my needs. Jesus. Be an intercessor and try and find, find yourself in the middle of where you can help me. But what we want to do is we want to absolve ourselves from the responsibility <laughs> of men. And we just want to say, here, he loves you, and then we run away because this fight is too hot. You know what this calls for? It's not called just for intelligent Christians. It calls for brave ones. Mm. And that's the reason why the gift of the Holy Ghost and the baptism of the Holy Ghost is not for you to speak in tongues. The point of the baptism of the Holy Ghost is bravery. Mm. It's boldness. The Apostle Peter said, God, we pray that you would make us bold. (laughs) He said, fill us with the Spirit of God that you would make us bold so we can continue doing the assignment that you have called us to do. So here is your simple homework for the week A&T, if your leader doesn't mind. <laughs> Your simple homework is this: find yourself in a position where you can help somebody. Jesus. And I don't know what that looks like, but demonstrate the kingdom of God. I know mm. you talk about it, 
and I know you feel you're a part of it, and because you feel like you're in a club, then you're safe. Mm. But demonstrate this still. Mm. Next time you're in Tesco or Waitrose or Sainsbury's or wherever you mm. shop to get your groceries, mm. find somebody, even if you, and don't be spooky and discerning about it, but just ask some questions. Find out, look, can I pay for your groceries this week? Mm. Jesus. Can I pay for your petrol this week? I don't know where you got to go, but let me fill your tank for you. Jesus. Demonstrate the kingdom of God. That's good, sir. That's good. Find yourself in a place and in a position. Yeah. Because here, and here's, the, here's how we know we are not ready for this thing. Yeah. That if you want to just lay in the bunker of your prayer closet, <laughs> and then when you leave, you avoid people, and you avoid eye contact and all of that. It's, it, it's, it's a weak thing that you're praying for the homeless. And then you walk past them every single day of your life, saying, sorry, I've got no change, I've got nothing to give. But yet, then you want to go back home and pray that God's will be done for the homeless. What's your position and what's your perspective? What do you have to do in that? Father, in Jesus' name. Father, make us a doing church. Make A&T a doing church. Father, not that we'll be puffed up with wisdom and knowledge, revelation and understanding, so that we have the heart to be involved and get involved in the lives of people, in their storylines and their history. Help us to have the perspective of kings, that though we are lofty, we abase ourselves. We make ourselves like servants. Mm. Help us to put ourselves in alignment all over again in our understanding of where we can be most effective because the kingdom of God is not in talk. The kingdom of God is in demonstration, it's in action. Mm. Father, I thank you for the miracles that you have given the body of Christ at their disposal. But Father, even more than this, I thank you for the hearts of the believers whereby we put first the nature of people's lives and we become soul winners. Mm. Not just to say that we have a house full of people, but to say that we are seeing people from sin into purpose. Mm. Give us a heart to serve, oh God. Mm. And give us a greater perspective of what demonstration actually looks like. Mm. Forgive us for thinking that demonstration was just lights, cameras, and action. We repent for thinking that demonstration is loud noises and demonstration is in uh, smoke and it's in flames and it's in fire. Help us to understand that demonstration is in the very acts that we do to enhance a person's life. Bring us into greater revelation of how we can serve others and make the church all over again a people that won't just talk, but a people that won't talk. Father, I love you. And I bless you for this house in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 A&T, I love you. I love you so much. Thank you for your time. Thank you for hearing me out. Let us be a doing people. Yes. And let us demonstrate the kingdom of God. Julian Mitchell over and out.